My attention span is so short at the moment that I've written the introductory sentence to this episode like four times. Um, Normally when I write these things, I spend a bit of time sort of telling you how I got to the thing that I want to talk about. But if I'm being honest, um, (laughs) I've just binged watched an entire season of Ink Master for some reason. And now I'm all embroiled in the drama between like a bunch of tattooists with really obvious anger management issues. So I can't really remember how I ended up thinking about Megan Fox, but I did. It might have been something to do with her recent re-emergence into the public eye via the announcement of her new relationship with rapper Machine Gun Kelly. She made a bunch of like super intense comments about how she doesn't believe in soulmates, she believes in twin flames or something. Which just sounds like a new agey way of saying soulmates, but who am I to judge? Uh, Anyway, I think for most people, when they think about Megan Fox, they think about the useless hot girl in Transformers. But when I think about Megan Fox, I think of the 2009 horror comedy Jennifer's Body. Uh, Is this podcast just turning into a series of 20-minute diatribes about which horror movies I think you should watch? Look, maybe. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about Jennifer's body and the horror renaissance. So all the way back in 2007, Diablo Cody wrote a film called Juno, and for some reason it really tapped into the cultural pulse of the minute and became a runaway hit that ended with Cody winning an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. In Cody's own words, the beauty of winning an Oscar was that it gave her the freedom to make whatever the hell she wanted, and in her case, what she wanted was a gory horror flick about an accidentally awakened succubus in the form of a teen girl who murders her male classmates, which is how we ended up with Jennifer's body two years later. And it, uh, it tanked. (laughs) Jennifer's Body was an unfortunate commercial and critical failure, and I remember watching it when it was released and really enjoying it, so I was always a little bit confused as to why it got torn to shreds the way it did. I think I've mentioned before it's become a bit of a fad recently to revisit older texts and pass new meaning from them with the benefit of hindsight and better politics. We're all very keen to put B-movies under the academic microscope for some reason. And Jennifer's body has really benefited from this treatment, with a number of publications coming to its defense and declaring the movie an ahead-of-its-time feminist masterpiece that would kill at the box office where it released today. And while I don't necessarily disagree with this reassessment, I do have some feelings about the weight that we place on these types of movies and the quality of horror films being released today. So I thought we could dive into those, have a little look at why the film failed so spectacularly on its first outing, why people are so keen to look at it in a new light, and whether or not the film would actually kill it today, all things being equal. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the film's 2009 failure, I'll give you a quick plot recap. It's not going to be spoiler-free because you guys have had a decade to get on this train. Uh, (laughs) Amanda Seyfried uh, plays Needy, the mousy BFF of the titular Jennifer, who's played by Megan Fox. People don't really understand their friendship, Uh, Needy is a bookish and kind of plain girl with a nice boyfriend. Jennifer is the school babe, a cheerleader, and overwhelmingly popular, although she refuses to give high school boys the time of day. One night, they'd go to see touring band Low Shoulder play, and the venue catches fire. 
Needy and Jennifer make it out of the carnage, only for Jennifer to be ushered into the waiting van of Low Shoulder, who are fronted by a very creepy Adam Brody, fresh off the back of a turn on the OC. Turns out Low Shoulder had come to town with the specific intention of sacrificing a virgin to gain commercial success for their band. Except Jennifer wasn't a virgin. Not even a backdoor virgin, to quote the script. Which means that rather than just dying like a good girl, she's now immortal. And like really hot. (laughs) Needy has to spend the rest of the film trying to curtail her lifelong friend's bloodlust. I first watched Jennifer's body with a group of female friends in a shitty share house while we were all hungover and eating Thai food. It's been like a decade, but I'm pretty sure I managed to convince everyone to watch it, even though they weren't horror fans, because Diablo Cody had written it and everyone had enjoyed Juno so much. I really loved it, and I was surprised when everyone else enjoyed it too. The script was really sharp and funny, and the story was obviously about the terror of teen girl friendships viewed through a horror lens. It had also really honed in on the popularity of emo music at the time, and making the film's evil foil, cute boys in eyeliner, showed a kind of clueiness that was lacking in a lot of other media. I think we all kind of identified with some part of the story, even if it wasn't the demonic possession by succubus bit that formed the core of the drama. I'm obviously a big dweeb when it comes to movies, but there's something kind of magical about being in a room full of girls and knowing that a story is very explicitly for you. And Jennifer's body is very obviously a movie for young women. A lot has been written about the ways the marketing campaign for this film contributed to its commercial and critical failure. Cody and director Karen Kusama both have horror stories about the struggle that they had with 20th Century Fox's marketing department. To give you some context, here's a quote from a BuzzFeed article by Louis Peitzman. Peitzman? One of the two. (laughs) Sorry, Louis. It's called uh, You Probably Owe Jennifer's Body an Apology, and it was published back in 2018. Uh, It pretty accurately sums up the kind of wall that Cody and Kusama were up against. It says, The focus of the entire ad campaign was on Fox's sex appeal. The irony of the title was completely lost on their publicity team. Kusama told BuzzFeed News that she was horrified by one particularly egregious marketing suggestion, which would have had Fox host an amateur porn site to promote the film. And when Kusama asked for an explanation behind another ad that was fixated on Jennifer's hotness, she and Cody received a reply that still lives in infamy for the screenwriter. The email wasn't even grammatically correct, Cody noted. The response said, Jennifer's sexy, she's still your boyfriend as if a caveman had written it. So that's what we were dealing with. Now, this is a film written by, directed by, and starring women, featuring a female villain, a female hero, and a plot that on a literal level deals with the disemboweling of teen boys, and on a thematic level deals with female friendship and the reclaiming of power. But if you looked at any of the marketing material produced at the time, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Jennifer's body was just Megan Fox reprising her role as sexy Transformers lady, but in a horror setting. The trailer was cut to include scenes of Fox swimming naked in a lake and kissing Amanda Seyfried as though they were constant highlights throughout the movie, instead of what they were, which was incidental plot-relevant scenes. This kind of marketing was both specifically directed toward young men and very specifically exclusionary of young women, 
which was the exact opposite of the film's intentions. This meant that young women were alienated from attending a movie that was actually about them, and audiences and reviewers who attended the film expecting to see a sexy, softcore fox fest were actually met with fox crouched kind of gargoyle-esque over the corpse of a disemboweled emo kid sipping his blood with her hands. There was nary a titty in sight, not even a hint of side boob. I flipped through some of the reviews from around the time and I shit you not, a lot of the genuine complaints are that the film isn't even hot. An expectation was built and then not met and it harmed both reviews and the audience numbers. Even though the terrible marketing campaign shot the movie in the foot before it even got a chance to get off the ground, I think one of the things I found really interesting flipping through the reviews from the time of release was this intense dislike of the women involved in the film, specifically Megan Fox and Diablo Cody. The backlash against Fox is perhaps unsurprising on some level. She's been a polarizing figure for almost as long as she's been in the limelight. She's the kind of bombshell hot that catapulted her to the top of men's magazine's sexiest women alive lists, but she's also lippy and really prone to putting her foot in her mouth. Around the time of Jennifer's body, she was facing a huge amount of public backlash for comments about Transformers director Michael Bay, where she compared his onset behavior to that of a dictator, uh, Napoleon, and then perhaps more tastelessly, Hitler. She was characterized pretty widely as ungrateful to the man who'd launched her career, disrespectful and trashy overall. Though interestingly, not disrespectful to, like, the ongoing trauma of the Holocaust, so much as disrespectful to the man who made her. Tabloids had a field day with her, painting her as an overly sexy idiot with no filter. Three crew members on the film penned a scathing letter calling her a spoiled brat, which Bay published on his website, while also taking the time to graciously call her outbursts delightful in as many entertainment mags as he possibly could. This was all perhaps made more intense by the fact that Fox seemed hell-bent on staring the media firestorm in the face and saying yes and. While reading back over some of the things Fox has said in 2020 is enough to induce a full-body shudder, Characterizing starlets as impossible and ungrateful when they speak up for themselves, and particularly when they speak up for themselves in order to criticize older and more powerful men, isn't a new move. Have you ever wondered what happened to Katherine Heigl? Or why Anne Hathaway had to have a career revitalization despite consistently putting out quality movies? In the same BuzzFeed article, Kusama said, the hostility toward Megan seemed to really come from a sort of desire to possess and debase her and an inability to effectively do that. She was too pretty to talk and too mouthy to be that pretty, essentially. I think maybe what's more surprising to me is the vitriol that was directed toward Diablo Cody. Cody was a former stripper with a penchant for leopard print, which seemed to invite a huge target on her back. I think the hate is directed twofold. Juno was the kind of smash hit debut that most people can only dream about, and her writing style is extremely distinctive. One review quoted in every recent article about the film called the script Something Diablo Cody seems to have dashed off in between talk show appearances and updating her MySpace page with her latest caustic witticisms. 
People love to hate the way that she writes teenagers. Even recently, I saw someone condescendingly quoting the line, that's one doodle that can't be undid, home skillet, from Juno, in a can-you-believe-this-won-an-Oscar type of way. But here's the thing that's confusing to me. Cody is a writer, which is a typically behind-the-scenes role that doesn't involve a lot of people knowing your face, or often even your name in any mainstream sense. And while she was admittedly more high-profile following her Oscar win, to see her so heavily derided for a movie that, while weird, both builds on and diversifies her established writing style and manages to hit its mark pretty accurately as a film is really strange. You rarely, if ever, see the same criticism of male writers with distinctive styles. Like, no one is accusing Seth Rogen of slapdash screenwriting done in between self-aggrandizing on the internet and TV spots. We've all just accepted that the dude makes funny movies about weed. What I'm saying is it's really hard to feel like this type of disapproval wasn't steeped in misogyny. It's really jarring to look at this criticism of both Cody and Fox 10 years on because it feels so blatant. The sexy lady isn't doing what sexy ladies are supposed to do, and the too loud writer lady with the extremely specific sense of humour wrote a weird movie that was about girls and didn't even have a nip slip in it. It just feels so weird to see that kind of unrepentant misogyny just in a film review in a mainstream publication. I think a lot of revisits to this movie tend to gloss over the ways a specific and directed dislike of two key women involved in the film really contributed to its lack of success. There's a really great one-on-one where Cody and Fox talk about the experiences they had at the time and how it's shaped how they interact with the media now. And regardless of how you feel about Fox's body of work, It's pretty heartbreaking to watch her face crack when Crody describes the ways she was spoken about in emails with the studio and to hear her articulate the ongoing fear she feels about doing publicity for any of her movies. At one point she says, what did I even do? What did I do that was so wild? And she's not wrong. She's said some pretty messy things over the course of her career, but like I mentioned before, The backlash would be more believable if I thought anyone involved in yelling about the out-of-pocket Hitler analogy was actually concerned about the disrespect for the ongoing struggle of Jewish people and not the fact that a pretty girl wasn't grateful enough that a powerful man put her in a movie. I don't think it's a stretch to call the failure of Jennifer's body a byproduct of its time. You have a weird movie that explores themes of friendship, womanhood, power, and sexual assault, that was marketed as a sex comedy, helmed by two women who were or were in the process of becoming notably reviled. It's kind of a perfect storm. And to be explicitly clear, it didn't deserve this treatment. It's a good movie that feels special to watch. But what I am interested in is this claim that it was ahead of its time and that its release today would kick off some sort of runaway success at the box office. I'm just not sure that this would be the case, and in fact, I think some of the power of Jennifer's body comes from its status as a cult film. Horror as a genre has often been really difficult to get taken seriously from a critical perspective, even when they're well-made and thematically complex. If you look at contemporaneous reviews of films that are widely acknowledged as, like, horror canon now, at best, they're usually pretty mixed. 
Genre classics like Halloween, for example, had reviews that dismissed it as poorly paced and treading over the tired ground, despite the fact that it set the blueprint for slasher films to come and has such a notable performance from Jamie Lee Curtis that she's still reprising the role 40 years later. While horror has been a hard sell in the past, there has been a recent wave of complex and commercially successful mainstream horror films that have also been complemented by high-quality left-of-field works that are critically acclaimed. If we think about things like Jordan Peele's Get Out or Us, which tackle race in America, or Ari Aster's Hereditary or Midsummer, which tackle themes of grief and inherited trauma, these are complex pieces that fall well within the horror genre but had an almost universally positive reception, and were commercially successful to varying degrees. They form the basis for shifts that we're seeing in popular iterations of the genre now. They're smart, structured, well-written, and well-made. Compare that with the cohort of Jennifer's Body in 2009. (laughs) Um, Let's have a look. Like The first Paranormal Activity film came out, which kicked off yet another wave of found footage movies. And there were a lot of sequels to tried-and-true concepts like Final Destination and Cabin Fever. Oh, and there was another Human Centipede movie that came out in 2009, just in case anyone was wondering. Basically, that's a lot of beautiful young people being picked off one by one. They're not offering much to work with thematically. Jennifer's body doesn't necessarily fit that mold. It's offering a pretty complex look at female friendships. Needy and Jennifer are utterly fixated on each other even as they tear each other apart, and that obsession borders on a perverse kind of love and attraction that I think a lot of women will recognise in themselves even if they're not willing to admit it. The handling of Jennifer's murder at the hands of a Satan-worshipping indie band is darkly funny, but it also paints a really bleak picture of the patriarchy and its consequences. Of the movie itself, Cody says... People constantly talk about how underrated it is now, and I'm like, why didn't anybody go and see it at the time? I'm salty. I could have made more movies like Jennifer's Body if people had actually fucking gone or been positive about it. And while it's a good film that is definitely owed an apology per the BuzzFeed article, I don't think Jennifer's Body would be the sleeper hit that everyone is predicting if it were released today. I don't think it's slick enough or high concept enough to sit with the new wave of prestige horror. That doesn't mean it's a bad film, but I think in the case of Jennifer's Body, with its subject matter being what it is, part of its recent success is based on its rediscovery a decade on. I mentioned earlier the joy of watching a movie made definitively for you, and I think part of the joy that post-internet teen girls and queer kids find in this film is that it was so unjustly treated on its initial release. And there's something so alluring and powerful about finding a film that is made just for you, hidden away like some sort of secret. There's a certain pleasure to be had in reading wrong-headed reviews and knowing that they're wrong because you've cracked the code of the film. Jennifer's body shouldn't have failed the way it did, but it's ultimately right where it belongs. It's an innovator, an instant cult classic, And having deciphered its value, it's for you to understand. It's yours now.
that's Jennifer's body. <laughs> I realized writing this uh, with the benefit of hindsight, it's really hard to explain to people why everyone hated Megan Fox so much. Like, I'm not even sure I articulated it correctly. Everyone hated her, just sort of mostly because she was there, from what I can tell. Like, she said some pretty tasteless stuff, but if you asked anyone about it, the answer was always like, she's just too, uh, everywhere. <laughs> Internalized misogyny is a hell of a drug, kids. If you want to talk to me about how to unpack that, hit me up next time you see me at the pub. Peace.